Hope you have your Bibles this morning. I'd love for you to find Romans chapter number 4. Romans chapter number 4. While you're finding your place in Romans chapter 4, I read a story this week of a kindergarten teacher who was observing her classroom as their children were drawing pictures. And this teacher would occasionally walk around the room and look at each child's artwork. And as she approached one little girl who was working very hard on her drawing, she asked the little girl what she was doing. The little girl said, I'm drawing God. And the teacher looked at uh, the picture and looked at the little girl and said, Listen, sweetie, no one has actually seen God. No one knows what God looks like. Automatically, the little girl continued drawing and said, Well, they're certainly going to see it in a minute. <laughs> you know, when you think about God and you think about saving faith, wouldn't it be so much easier if we could just see God with our natural eyes. But that's not the case. So what is saving faith? And how do you know that you have it? Paul is going to answer that question by looking at one of the most important characters in the Old Testament, a man by the name of Abraham. Paul's choice of Abraham is one that is intentional because the Jews and Christian Gentiles consider this figure the father of their faith. We do the same. You know the song. You remember when we were little? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, and then we throw our right hand in. How many of you remember that? All the old people. God bless you. But no, it's true. Father Abraham was the father in relationship to faith. And so Paul is going to use Abraham as an illustration, if you will, about what is true saving faith. By the way, let me just say this. Has anyone ever asked you the question, how do the people in the Old Testament get to heaven? How do they get saved? Romans chapter 4 is your answer. If anyone ever asked you that question, I would take them to Romans chapter 4 and look and see how Abraham was saved. How was Abraham saved? declared righteous before God. When you study the book of Romans, you find that there is a section that Paul deals specifically with salvation, and that's the section we're in. It begins in chapter 3, verse 21, and runs all the way to chapter 8, verse number 39. In the first section, in chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, all the way to verse 31, he introduces us to a concept known as justification. This doctrine is one of the most important doctrines that you and I have as born-again children of God. It means to be declared righteous before God Himself. And so how are we declared righteous? We are declared righteous by faith through the blood of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on Calvary's cross and shed His blood uh, for our sins, the Bible says, whosoever comes to Jesus shall be saved. You will be saved, and that salvation occurs through justification. That is, your faith is, has made you uh, pure and white before the very God of this universe. And God declares you to be righteous. He puts righteousness to your account. So what Paul is saying here in relationship to the doctrine of justification is justification is much, much, much more than just as if you'd never sinned. It's more than that. It's being declared righteous before a holy God 
one to which you have a relationship with him, and that relationship is such that you call him Abba or Father. It is a term of endearment. It is what you would refer to your father as Daddy. And so God, in his great sovereignty, loved us enough to provide a way through Jesus Christ, his one and only Son, for us to have a relationship with him. And Paul explains this in chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. And then he switches gears and says, listen, I want to just double down on this just a little bit, and I want to give you an illustration of justification. And he's going to use Abraham. There is a reference to David in here, and we can say both David and Abraham are illustrations of justification by faith. But he's really going to hone in on Abraham specifically. So if you found your place in chapter number 4, look at what the Bible says in verse number 1 and following. I'm not going to read the entirety of the text, although we will go through the whole thing. But notice verse number 1. What shall we say then? That Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found. For if Abraham were justified by works... He hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that works not, that is working for your salvation, but to him that does not work for their salvation, but believeth on him, that is Jesus, that justify the ungodly by his faith is counted for righteousness. <clears throat> Even David also described the blessedness of a man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute sin. That's found in Psalms chapter 32, verse 1 and 2. He goes on to say, Cometh to this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. The point that Paul's making there, it was not a religious ritual that saved him. He was saved. Abraham was saved by his faith. How are you and I saved today? The same way. We are saved by our faith. So let's look at this passage of Scripture. Let's go through it together. When you come to Romans chapter 4, Paul really frames this whole chapter around three very important questions. Let me give them to you if I could. Question number one is, how was Abraham saved? How was Abraham saved? Let me go ahead and give you all the questions. That way you'll have the complete outline. Question number two, when was Abraham saved? When was Abraham saved? And then question number three, what were the fundamentals of Abraham's saving faith? What were the fundamentals of Abraham's saving faith? So there's the three questions. Let's jump into the first one and see what we can find. How was Abraham saved? We've read the first nine verses. We found in the first three verses, it is a reflection of Genesis chapter number 15 and verse number six. And the bottom line is simply this. Abraham was saved by faith. Now the scriptures I'm reading from the King James uses the term believe. He believed 
God. The term believed means he had faith. He put his faith in Jesus Christ. He put his faith in the fact that the Messiah, Jesus, was coming. When you go on down through the verse, you notice in verse 4 and 5, he's going to show us the logic of faith. Here is the logic of faith. In verse 4 and 5, notice what it says. Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Here in this passage of scripture, we see the premise of every job. Every working job that you get a wage for, that you get a paycheck for, is found right here and summed up in this verse. Now, to him that does work, that work that you do is not because you're getting grace, but is because you are getting a debt. There's a debt being owed to you. What is that debt being owed to you? Your wage. And so what Paul is saying here in regards to this, he's using this illustration to say just like you work for a job, when you work for a job, you get paid for that job. But that's not how God works in his economy of salvation. Notice what he goes on to say. He says, but to him that worketh not, but believed on him that justifieth, the ungodly, his faith is counted for him for righteousness. The Bible is very clear in regards to this saving faith and the logic of faith is that God does not operate on the same scale that we think of in relationship to being paid for what we do. We're living in a culture and a society today where you look around, you can find a lot of different religions. And in these religions, they're all going to say many times the same thing. They're going to say, in order for you to get right with God, You have to do something. That is contrary to what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches very plain, Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done in order for you to receive the free gift of salvation. Jesus paid it all. And because Jesus paid it all, there is nothing you can do to earn your way to heaven. But you look around today, and you look at religions today, and I don't have time to take each religion and pick it apart and say, here's the problem with this, here's the problem with that. I just simply want to say, in regards to this, God does not see payment for your sins as good works. He doesn't see that. When he looks down at you and you may do something good and do good works, he is not putting those good works on a scale in heaven and hoping that your good works outweigh your bad works. Why is that? Well, he's going to go into greater detail in Romans chapter 6. Look at what Romans chapter 6 in verse number 23 says. Notice this. It's worth noting. I would underline it, highlight it, put an asterisk by it because it deals specifically with this issue of salvation. He says, for the wages of sin is death. Brothers and sisters, you can work and work and do good and do good and do good and do good and do good, but you can never do good enough to get rid and cleanse that sin nature. Therefore, the payment for that sin nature that you have is not doing greater and greater good works. No, that's not the case at all. What he says here is, you must have the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You cannot work your way to heaven. It is a gift that comes from Almighty God 
through Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who gives us eternal life through the blood of His Son, Jesus. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 5 again. The gospel, working off of this different premise, says, in relationship to Abraham, but to him that worketh not. Abraham did not work for his faith. Abraham, in the Earl of the Chaldees, was just doing life in the midst of all those pagan gods that were being worshipped. And he finds himself confronted with the promise of God, Yahweh, the one true God. He did not work for his faith, but he believed on him that can justify you. He believed on him that can make you righteous. God is the only one that can put you in right relationship with himself. He goes on to say that this occurred by his faith. And it was through Abraham's faith that he was declared righteous. In the word of God, you'll see if you're reading from the King James, he uses the word counted. The word counted there means to credit. To credit. Um, I am, my kids, I got my kids very early uh, in uh, their lives when they were young. I got them all savings accounts. And as they got older and got jobs and put money in those savings accounts, uh, they turned, we turned them over into checking accounts or got them a checking account along with their checking account. <clears throat> and in doing that, we were trying to teach them uh, how to be responsible, uh, the, uh, be good fiduciaries, that is, handle their money well and wise. Uh, on occasion, you'd have a, a kid that would mess up. And uh, all of these accounts, because they were minors, were tied to my name, bless God. And so I had a vested interest to see if they had money in their accounts. And I'll admit, there were a time or two in my raising of my children, I'd, they'd find themselves not accounting properly. And looking at their accounts, saying, oh my goodness, so-and-so's $10 in the hole. That's going to reflect upon me. I don't want to get a letter in the mail. So what do I do? I go in there, and I get online, and I credit their account not only to zero, but give them a little bit more to help them till they can get some more money. And then we have a sit down and have a come to Jesus meeting. Can I get a witness right there? <laughs> Paul says in relationship to our lives, we have been issued the wages of our good works, and that's death. But because Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross, we have been justified. We have been declared righteous, and it has been counted for us as righteous. It has been deposited in our account, not just at zero, but we're rich in Jesus Christ. We're wealthy in God. Remember, when you see the term righteousness, you see it there in verse number 5. The term righteousness always means relationship. So anytime you see that word, it means relationship. And it's talking here in this passage of Scripture, the relationship that you have with God. And that relationship that you have with God is righteous. It's right. Sin broke that righteousness. Sin broke that relationship with God. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin, we have been united again to God through the blood of the spotless Lamb of Jesus Christ and we now are declared righteous. We've now had righteousness deposited into our account. 
And because of that, we're in right relationship with God. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 6. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute sin. Once you have been cleansed of sin, you cannot have sin put back in you by God. Now, we have this sin nature. God will never impute sin upon us, but we live in this sinful, wicked world. And because we have a sin nature, we are going to walk through this dirty world, and if I could use the illustration, get our feet dirty. That's why we have Roman, or excuse me, 1 John chapter 1 in verse 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He tells us here in this text, why is that important? Well, he tells us here in the text that uh, you find yourself looking at a man by the name of David. And so Paul uses uh, David here as a strategic person to talk about this issue of justification and righteousness. He does this, first of all, because David would have been right behind Abraham in terms of Jewish heroes. So in the church at, the church at Rome, remember, the church at Rome was divided. There were Jews in the church. There were Gentiles in the church. They were bickering and fighting. The Gentiles saying that God's forgot about the Jews. The Jews were then turning back, back to the Gentiles and said, Y'all can't be saved because y'all are not circumcised. Y'all, y'all are, you can't be saved. And there's this big fight going on. And so Paul uses Abraham, the father of our faith, to illustrate, hey, it's not going to be about circumcision. In relationship to how Abraham was saved, he was saved first and foremost by the only way you can be saved, by faith that the Messiah is coming. That's how he was saved. David is the second one. David's sins were forgiven, and his sins were removed. And that is wonderful, and we say hallelujah, praise God, but there's only one challenge with that. What if you're Uriah the Hittite's wife? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about the fact that you're not just dealing with David's sins being forgiven, but you're dealing with Uriah the Hittite. He's the man that David had murdered. And David took her wife, Bathsheba. And so now we have this this whole other institution here that we're looking at in regards to this issue of forgiveness. Somebody's got to pay the price. Somebody's got to pay the debt. Somebody. Uriah's mom says, and Uriah's mom has said, somebody's got to pay the debt to my son. He was murdered. Who's going to pay that price? And Jesus says, I am. I'm going to pay that price. And Jesus steps up to the plate and he dies on Calvary's cross and sheds his blood so that David would be saved. Did David get away with anything? No. No, he didn't get away with nothing. David had to pay the consequences of his sin. 
In fact, when you look at Scripture and you read the, the Psalms, you come to some of the Psalms that talk about how David's body began to break down because of the sin he was under. You see the same thing in Abraham's life. Even though our sins have been forgiven, that does not mean that we don't pay the consequences for our sin when we make poor decisions here on this earth. What do you mean? When you look at David's life and you look at the sin that he committed, did God forgive David of his sin? Yes. Did David have to pay the consequences of his sin on this earth? There were some consequences that he had to pay. He said it felt like his bones were rotten inside of him. Sin paid some consequences in his life. But his sin was removed from him. And he was cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And David testifies to the fact, he says, Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute sin. So the first thing Paul does in relationship to the church is he says, Listen, don't ever forget how you're saved. You're saved the same way David was saved. You're saved the same way Abraham was saved. You were saved by faith. Number two, here's the second question. When was Abraham saved? When was Abraham saved? The answer to this question is found in verses 10 through 12. 10 through 12 gives us the answer when Abraham was saved. I want you to look at this. Watch what the scripture says here in verse number 10. He goes on to say... How was it then reckoned? How did it come about, Paul says? Did Abraham get saved when he was circumcised? Or did he get saved when he was uncircumcised? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. There's the answer right there, just as plain as the nose is on our face. He gives us the answer. Verse 11, he goes on to say, however... And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being circumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that the righteous might be imputed unto them also. Uh, And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had yet being uncircumcised. Now, I don't have time, neither do I have the energy or the strength or the tact to talk about circumcision from the pulpit this morning. But what I do want to say is simply this. The Bible is very clear in verse number 11 that circumcision is a seal. You see that there in the text? A seal of the righteousness of faith. So there's two things I want you to notice in regards to when was Abraham saved. Number one, the first thing the Bible says, he was saved before he was circumcised. Before he was circumcised. Uh, God declares Abraham righteous in Genesis chapter 15. God does not introduce Abraham to circumcision until Genesis chapter 17. So just in strict going through the scriptures, you find that Abraham was declared righteous by his faith in chapter 15 before circumcision was ever given. He was saved before he was circumcised. So why was he circumcised? Verse number 11, the scripture says this. It was a seal of the righteousness of the faith. What is a seal? A seal is a sign. A seal would be the same thing that we see in relationship to baptism. What do you mean, Pastor? 
When you look at baptism, you see that if this hand represents the water and this hand represents you, when you go down into the water, where your, where your body intersects with that water, that is a picture of Jesus on the cross. When you go under the water, that is a picture of Jesus in the tomb. And when you come up out of the water, that is a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So baptism is a seal. It is a picture. It is a symbol. It is what we see. And in regards to this, what, they, what Paul is saying here in this text, he's saying in the same way that baptism is a picture, so too circumcision was a picture. It was a testimony to the fact that Abraham had trusted God by faith, and everyone that came after Abraham did that as they trusted Jesus Christ by faith that he was coming. They trusted God. Now, in regards to those, here's the third thing, in regards to those Romans who did not hold to circumcision, and by Romans, I mean Gentiles. That's the whole unit of the Gentile nation. Everybody who's not a Jew. Can, do we need to be circumcised once we are saved? The answer to that is no. Absolutely not. Because circumcision does nothing. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying in verse number 12 that the father of circumcision, the father of this religious act, to them who are not circumcised only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. We have the same faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. Therefore, no religious act can ever save you. No religious act could ever justify you. No religious act could ever make you righteous. The only thing that can make you righteous is you placing your faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And so Paul is rebuking, if you will, the church here at Rome, saying, you got to get this right. You're fighting in the church. Some of you are saying that you got to be circumcised in order to be saved. Some of you are saying circumcision uh, doesn't matter. In fact, the faith of the Jews don't even matter. He's saying, no, you're both wrong. Faith is the ultimate goal. We all have faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and circumcision is a secondary thing that we don't even need to be fighting over. Hey. Question number three. Verses 13 through 25, we have a third question. And that question is this. What were the fundamentals of Abraham's saving faith? What were the fundamentals of Abraham's saving faith? Verse 13 through 25. This is where Paul really begins to illustrate faith in a, a more clear mind. So let me take a minute and make sure you understand the, the story of Abraham. Remember, the wickedness of the world had really come to head. Uh, they, the world came together and said, hey, let's build a tower, the Tower of Babel. Let's build this tower up to God and we'll get up there and we'll talk to God. It was a brazen, defiant act against God. And God said, I'm not going to do this. And so he scattered them. <laughs> All over the place. Languages became known at this moment in time in the scriptures. Then God chose one man, a man by the name of Abram. 
And he chose this man to be the father of nations. And this nation, one nation, this nation of God, and the father of this nation of God would be one that would absolutely turn the world back towards Jesus Christ because it would be, it would be a nation that would fear God and love God. There was only one problem. Abram was old. And because he was old, he was in his 70s when he received the promise and they had no kids, and they continued until their 90s. And then notice what happens in verse number 13. Notice what the scripture says. The Bible says, For the promise that Abraham should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Paul, Paul is simply saying this, in regards to this issue of you being in right relationship with God, and it hinging on your faith, putting your faith in Jesus Christ, he says it is so vitally important that you understand it was never about the law. It was never about you keeping the laws that God had. The laws that God had were given to us, given to you, so that you could see you can't keep them. You're condemned before God. You cannot keep the law. I would venture to say and be uh, uh, have some courage in saying it. It uh, doesn't surprise me in here that if everyone in this place at some point in time, some point in your life, went over the speed limit if you're able to drive. Reminds me of those senior adult ladies who were driving down the highway, and as they were driving down the highway, blue lights were behind them, and they pulled over. And as they pulled over, the officer walked up to the window, and the lady rolled down the window, and said, is there a problem, officer? And the officer looked in and was looking around and noticed that the women in the back seat were terrified, eyes as big as half dollars. said, ladies, are y'all okay? And they said, uh-huh. And uh, the officer said, ma'am, do you know why I pulled you over? And she said, uh, no, sir, I, I don't. I, I thought we were doing, doing what's right. I said, no, ma'am, uh, you were going over the speed limit. In fact, you were a super speeder. And she said, no, I, I, I'm, I wasn't. I was doing the speed limit. The sign said 95. The officer said, I'm sorry, ma'am. That's not the speed limit. That's the interstate number. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, whether we mean to or not, whether it's by accident or on purpose, we have broken the law of God. Just like we've broken the law of man. And in breaking the law of God, that wage, that payment is death. And we find here in this text, the Bible says that before the law was even given, Abraham was declared or credited for righteousness because of his faith. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 14. He goes on to say, For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is made of no effect. If we are saved by being good and doing good things, then it, the, the law is just, it's all made void. The promise of God is made void. Why did God promise faith to Abraham, put him in right relationship with God, if it based upon the works of of the law. He says, verse 15, because the law 
works wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. You don't know that you're breaking the law until the law has been applied. And the Bible says that as creatures that have been made by God, we've got the law in our heart. Therefore, he says, when it comes to this issue of justification, it is a faith that it might be, watch this, by grace. You say, Pastor, what I understand you're telling me is you're saying that in order for me to be saved, I've, I can't keep the law. i got to understand, I can't keep the law. You're right, you can't. Number two, what you're saying is that this salvation is, is a free gift to me. I can't do anything. That's right, it is a, it's a free gift. Jesus paid it all. He paid every debt that you had. He goes on to say here, to the end, the promise, verse 16, might be sure to all the seed, not to that only, which is of the law, but to that also, which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. The word all is encompassing and incorporating Jews and Gentiles, everybody. Paul is saying, listen to me very carefully in relationship to the transition that I'm making about this issue of justification and using Abraham as my illustration. How was Abraham saved? By faith. When was Abraham saved? Before he was circumcised. If works doesn't matter, if this issue of the law doesn't matter, therefore God died for the world. And whosoever will can be saved. For we are all the children of Abraham. Notice what he goes on to say in verse number 17. As it is written, I have made thee Abraham a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Who against hope, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. I love that part there in the text where the scripture tells us that he believed even against his belief. He had hope against hope. Hope against hope. Did you catch that in verse number 18? Against hope, he believed in hope. Man, what a phrase. Well, what, does that, what does that mean? What does it mean? It means in his life, in Abraham's life, he's 90 years old. He hasn't had any kids. You give up hope for a couple of reasons. Can I get a witness right there? It just ain't going to happen. Watch this. Can I, can I just share this with you? This will help somebody if you'll receive it. It will. It'll help you. God sometimes has to get you in a position where the only direction you can look is up. You see, when Abraham was 70, his wife had a plan. I got it, Abraham. We're old. I'm old. How about this? Why don't you take my handmaiden, Hagar? You know that little slave girl we got in Egypt? When that mess, when, when I first messed up and talked about me being your sister and all that, you remember all that? Hagar came out of that. Why don't we take Hagar, and why don't you sleep with her 
She's young. She'll bear you a child. God will let you run as far away from him as you want to run. But let me tell you something about the promise of God. When God makes a promise, as he did to Abraham, that promise was unconditional. Radio, that just simply meant this. It meant that it didn't matter what Abraham did. God was going to fulfill his promise regardless of what Abraham did. Could I just say this? Listen to me very carefully. In regards to God's promise today, God said through Jesus Christ, Jesus the Son of God said this, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you. Listen to me, friend. God promised the only way to get to God was through his Son, Jesus Christ. God's going to keep his promise. You will not get to heaven. You will not get to God by coming, by coming to him any other way. It is impossible. You've got to come God's way. Abraham understood this. And so what were the fundamentals of his faith? Let me give them to you there very quickly and march through the verse. Number one, here's the first one. God's promise. God's promise. You see what happened in verse number 18? Notice again, the Bible says this. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Again, Abraham did not just believe in God in general. He believed the specific promise of God that God was going to fulfill what he said. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you today, Paul makes a bridge from verse number 18 in verse number 23 and 24 and says, just like Abraham believed God would send a son who would bring salvation, so too we see that God did send a son to bring salvation, and that son's name was Jesus. Look at what the Bible says in verse 23. There it is. got to hurry. He says, now it was not written for his sake alone that was imputed unto him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. What was the faith that Abraham had is that that son that he would have would be the catalyst that would bring in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it was Jesus that we put our faith in. Let me show you a second thing. Number two, not only do you see God's promise, you also see God's power. God's power. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 19. Boy, i got to hurry. He goes on to say, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now, there were a lot uh, of things Abraham could have thought uh, about considering this future. I've messed up. I've got this child with Hagar. God's probably <clears throat> going to forget me. He's probably not going to fulfill his promise. Abraham never let his mind think on those things. Abraham, according to Scripture, according to verse number 19, he continued to walk in his faith. I don't know how God's going to do it. I don't know how God's going to get me through this. I don't know how God's going to help me through this, but I know this, God is going to get me through. Number three, 
The, the third fundamental element of Abraham's faith is God's principles. Look at verse 20, 20 and 22. Look at what the scripture says, beginning verse number 20. The Bible says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Could I give you two principles we find here in this text? Principle number one, situational praise. Situational praise. Did you see it there in verse number 20? Notice it again. Look at it. Don't miss this. He says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in strong faith, giving glory to God. Brothers and sisters, listen to me, Christian. I'm, I'm preaching to Christians now. Listen to me. Have you ever been in a situation, you're like, I just don't know how I'm going to get through this. I know God's going to have to show up, but I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Can I ask you a question? How did you handle that? Many times we just throw our hands up in the air, and, and I, I've seen a lot of Christians do this. A lot of Christians do this. I see them throw their hands up in the air and say, God don't care about me. He don't care. And they leave God. They leave church. They leave their small group. They leave their Bible study. They leave it all. That's not what Abraham did. Tom, did you see it? Look at it again. Let's watch it. Watch it again. Notice what he says there in verse, in verse number 20. He had what I'm calling, I've entitled this situational praise. Verse 20. He says again, he says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. He didn't stagger. He didn't stumble. He didn't trip over it. He said, I have heard from God. I believe God. And I trust God. And the Bible says, and it was strong in faith. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know he's going to do it. Therefore, what am I going to do? Giving glory to God. What is the one thing you can do when you don't know how God's going to do it? What can you do? You can give him all the glory. You give him glory. So I don't feel like it. I bet Abraham didn't feel like it either. But we're not talking about our feelings. We're talking about God's truth. Situational praise. Can I ask you this? What situation are you in, are you in right now that you're giving God praise? Just a couple of weeks ago, dear sweet, sweet lady uh, was here. Um, she's got terminal cancer. She's dying. She met me right here. She met me right here. And she's talking to me. She was from out of town. She said, Pastor, I just want to share this with you. I don't have, I don't know how much time I've got. I'm going to do everything I can. Everything I can with doctors and all that. Do everything I can to get my healing. I'm asking God to heal me. I'm asking God to heal me. But here's what I want you to know, Pastor. As a Christian, I'm a winner either way. You know what she's doing? She is having situational praise. I'm in this situation, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to glorify God. Number two, I've got to give you this. I can't just leave it without giving it to you. The second thing I want you to notice is saturated persuasion. Saturated persuasion. What is that? Verse number 21. It's a principle, a principle that we see in the Word of God. Notice what it says in verse 21. <clears throat> and being fully persuaded... That what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has promised us eternal life. 
as we have been washed clean by the blood that he shed on Calvary. We ought to be saturated with the persuasion that Jesus is going to accomplish everything he said he was going to do. Abraham's faith came because he was fully convinced of God's ability to perform what he had promised. God is fully capable of performing what he's promised in regards to our salvation. So why do, we, uh, why do we do what we do in regards to walking away from God? I think it's because we think our God's too, he's not big enough. He's not big enough. But we look at our situation and we always fail to remember this. We always think that if it's over our head, then it's probably too big for God. I want to submit to you today, if it's over your head, it's always under his feet. If it's over your head, it's under his feet. Let me show you a fourth thing very quickly in the text. The fourth thing I want you to see here in this is faith's fortitude. Faith's fortitude. Fortitude is defined as courage or pain in adversity. Abraham's faith endured great fortitude. Look at what the Bible says in verse 23. He says, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed unto him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you today in regards to this issue of salvation, it is by faith. The fortitude that Abraham's faith had even all the way down through the ages to 2023 today, we look at it and we see that this fortitude that his faith had has come to us and we are challenged today to have the same faith that Abraham had. What kind of faith did Abraham have? Listen to me very carefully. <clears throat> if you have faith in the historical events of the life of Jesus Christ, that will not save you. If you have faith in the beauty of Jesus' life, that will not save you. If you have uh, faith in the accuracy or the goodness of Jesus' teaching, that will not save you. If you have faith in the deity of Jesus and in his lordship in regards to the fact that the only faith the only faith that you have is in the real Jesus who died on Calvary's cross, who took your place. That is the only faith that can save you. Trusting in Jesus Christ. And then watch this. I'm done. I'm closed. I'm out of time. I did better than I thought. I really thought I'd be uh, really messed up. Faith's finale, verse 25. Here's the finale. What is faith's finale? The Bible says this who was delivered, talking about Jesus, for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. We find in the scripture, Paul just simply says in regards to this issue of justification, he says, if you want to be, clear, to be declared righteous, if you want righteousness credited to your account where you're justified, that is, you are right with God, the only way to do that is to recognize that Jesus Christ took your place on Calvary's cross. And by faith, in order for you to be saved, you must put your faith in Jesus Christ. What does that look like? 
Paul is going to explain that even more when we get to Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10, he puts it this way in regards to this issue of faith. He says in the text, he says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe, there's that faith, in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You say, well, wait a minute, I thought you weren't supposed to do anything. What about this confession issue? Is that not a work? Look what he says in verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's not a works-based salvation. It is receiving the gift that God has already paid for. The question that I have for you today, dear friend, is this. Have you received that gift? Have you received that gift today? Let me ask it to you this way. If you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? You say, I hope so, I think so, maybe so. That's not good enough before our, behold, when you stand before a righteous God. It's not good enough. Not when the scripture has been so plain. The way that you come to Jesus is by faith. You say, I want to do that, Pastor. Could you help me? Help me express my faith to God. Could we bow for prayer? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, as this is your desire. From your heart to God, would you do this? Right where you're sitting. Would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I trust you as the Messiah. And put my faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you in Jesus' name.